welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is Jonathan Michael, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson. How you doing, Marv? Hey, what's up, Jonathan? I'm doing great. Just dealing with a little cold here, but hey, I'm here for the fans. Marv's here. He's under the weather, but he's dedicated, and we appreciate that. I know I do. I want to apologize to all of our listeners. We did have some audio technical difficulties last week with my voice, but we have that figured out and fixed, so we thank you all for hanging with us. Also want to mention to hang with us on Twitter. We love hanging out with you guys there. It's at JR Sports Wrap Up, at Marv underscore Wrap Up, and also don't forget to take advantage of our excellent offer to our listeners from Audible. Audible brings the podcast to you guys, and they have a special offer for our listeners. You can go ahead and visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up, and that will get you a free month's membership complete with three free audiobooks. That's right, three. They've upped the offer. You get one any book of your choice with over 100,000 titles, and you get two Audible originals, which they've started to put out some great content that way. So go ahead and check it out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up. But without any further ado, let us get into it. I want to start with this. In modern society today, we've seemed to become obsessed with the idea that newer is always better. We need the new car, we need the new iPhone, we need the new AirPods, we need the new everything. And uh, it goes, there's an old saying that goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's exactly what the San Francisco 49ers did. In a past happy world, on Sunday, the 49ers passed a total of eight times. Yeah, you heard that right. Eight times in the game, not eight times in the half. They passed six times in the first half, two times in the second half. And uh, oftentimes in life and in sports, we get too much in our own way. We try to get cute with the play calling. We try to go away from what's working for us. And the 49ers knew what was working. The Green Bay Packers did not want to tackle them. They did not want to play a physical game. And they said, okay, we're not going to get cute. We're going to keep coming at it. We're not going to get FOMO. We're not going to be get fear of missing out. For those Patrick Mahomes bombs that we saw in the first game, those are great, but we have our own way to win. And we're going to be tougher and we're going to be stronger than you and we're going to put it at you. We're going to take it to you. And they didn't fall for the trap that this newer is always better. I was millennial. I get the idea. Newer is better. We need new. We need fresh. We need new ideas. The old way of doing things doesn't work. And that's just not the case. It worked beautifully. And the San Francisco 49ers completely obliterated the Green Bay Packers. I do want to be clear, though, for those of you out there thinking that, oh, Jonathan's theory has been wrong all year. You don't need a really good quarterback. Jimmy G's just holding the water. Well, Jimmy G is a top 15 quarterback, if not top 10 in this league. He has the potential. He's endorsed by Belichick. He learned from Brady. This guy is the best of the best, and it only worked because of the threat of play action, because of the threat of his arm. That same Packer defense, they played against the Bears. They played against the Lions and David Blow. They had no problem stopping the run. It was all predicated off the pass. And I do think Jimmy G has those elite traits, and that's what set it up. He's maybe not top 10 yet, but he certainly has the potential. He has the it qualities. He has everything that you need. The same theory still exists. You have two top 15, top 10 quarterbacks playing for the Super Bowl. You have two top five coaches, and you have two top 10 defenses. Kansas City has bloomed into an elite defense, believe it or not. Starting from the bottom, now we're here. Kansas City's here, and they came to play some defense. So the theory still exists. You need the quarterback. You need the defense. You need the coach. But San Francisco played tough. They brought toughness. They brought old school football back and they made it the way to win because there's different ways to do things and different ways to win sometimes. Innovation comes from building on something that already works. When we want a faster air transportation method, we don't try to build flying saucers. We take what we have in the airplane and we try to make it lighter. We try to make it a more powerful, more efficient engine. We do the same with 
medicine. You have medicine when you're trying to create new cures and, and new antibiotics. You don't just take the old ones and throw them away. You keep them and you use them, but you innovate. You try and make new things. You add to what's already there. And that's exactly what Kyle Shanahan has done to his father, Mike's offense. He's taken the principles from the 80s and 90s. He's not strayed from the run game. And he's learned his lesson from the past. He did it in the Super Bowl. As the coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons, he didn't run the football, and he paid dearly by allowing the Patriots to come back from down 28-3 to and win the football game. And he learned from that. But more importantly, he learned from his father. He learned that the running game is important. If you have a good quarterback, good to great quarterback, you can run the football and make them respect you that way. And that's exactly what innovation is. He's added layers of complexity to the offense. He's added a passing game that didn't exist in the 80s and 90s. But he's used those same traits, those same abilities, the same offensive concepts that has made football what it is to this day. And he's innovated. And I think that that should be applauded. You should never forget where you've come from. You should never forget what you've learned. And you should always be willing to innovate. Marv, we saw San Francisco was very committed to the run. I theorize that's because you had to respect the pass. We saw Green Bay play against quarterbacks that they didn't have to respect, and they had no problem stopping the run. But to the point, how was San Francisco able to route Green Bay while only passing eight times in the game from your perspective? Well, basically what the 49ers did is they uh, – I'm, I'm sure they did a lot of research and watched a lot of games that the Packers lost. And a lot of games where the Packers struggled, and they noticed a trend. The Packers' run defense has always been their weak point. They have always struggled to stop running games. Uh, many teams have exploited the Packers' running defense, and it showed. And that's what the 49ers did. 49ers, what they do is they run a um, a zone-blocking scheme, which really, uh, how I say, is tailor-made for speed running backs. So basically on the zone-blocking uh, scheme, all the running back has to do is do one cut, and, they're, and once they hit that cut, the hole's open, they're gone. And the Packers' uh, front seven is, is, is really athletic bunch. They're really fast, but they're not very aggressive. 49ers have a big athletic offensive line, and all they did was just pound the rock all day. And if you notice, they're running back. Most of he's not a big guy. He's just a really fast speed guy, and his speed was on display on Sunday. Yeah, I want to switch over to Mostert there for a second. You led me right into my next question. You might have partially answered it, but I want to ask it again. Uh, Raheem Mostert, he's been on seven teams. He's been on practice squads, undrafted, cut. I mean, he is the ultimate underdog story. He runs for 220 yards and four touchdowns. That's the second most all-time in terms of yards. What is your biggest takeaway from that? Is it, it Was it Green Bay's defense not showing up to play? Uh, what does it mean for the running back position in the NFL as well? Well, my opinion is being a longtime Denver Bronco fan and watching that same exact offense on display on Sunday uh, for many years in Denver when Mike Shanahan implemented it uh, with John Elway and Terrell Davis. At that time, I'm just going to you know take it back a little bit to 1995, a little unknown fifth-round pick running back who made a big hit in Japan in the preseason, ended up starting for the Denver Broncos, running over 1,600 yards and winning Rookie of the Year. Now, let's fast forward to last Sunday's game. Same thing applies with Mostert. He's a guy, like you said, who's been on seven different teams. He's bounced around. He hasn't really had opportunities. Well, come Kyle Shanahan inserting the zone blocking scheme that his father made famous back in the day and boom made uh Mostert an instant rock star on Sunday. He was hitting those holes like it was no no tomorrow and he was hitting home runs. And that's the beauty of the uh zone blocking scheme. They can make any running back look like a superstar. I mean in the past the Broncos for example made Orlandis Gary, 
They've made uh, Mike Anderson. They've made Clinton Porters. They've made, I, I mean, the, the list goes on. These are a bunch of guys that were, weren't even first round picks and they blew up in the scene and went over a thousand yards in their season and had really good seasons in the playoffs as well when the Broncos made it. So I say it's more about the scheme itself that uh, enhances the running game for these uh, no name running backs. All they really have to do, it's a simple scheme to hit the hole. Just one cut and hit the hole, run uh, north and south. You got to run north, no east or west. You run and hit the hole and up. Basic scheme, and it's worked. And Kyle Shanahan was running it to perfection. And I think it, it, it will affect the way the running back position is looked at because I think a lot more teams are starting to run the zone blocking scheme. As you can tell, you watch the Rams, you see some teams like uh, – who else is there? Even the Packers were running a zone blocking scheme. A lot of these guys, a lot of these teams are running zone blocking schemes and they're putting in plugging running backs in and they're breaking out. Broncos are still running the zone blocking scheme, as we can see. And look at Phillip Lindsay, an undrafted rookie, an undrafted player in the second year, goes back to back thousand yard seasons. How is that possible? I mean, the zone blocking scheme is, uh, is, uh, is alive and well and, it's making these guys into stars, and it's also diminishing a lot of the running backs' um, value in the market. So we're going to see how this tr continues to transpire as uh, the offseason kicks off after the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point as to how this may tip a trend where there was a time where we were like, running backs don't matter as much. We're just going to take whoever. And now we shifted back over to the, let's pay Todd Gurley $44 million over four years. Let's pay Ezekiel Elliott over $90 million over six years. And those contracts are looking pretty uh, bad for those teams. There's maybe uh, situations where you'd want to pay a running back, and they have to be a running back slash receiver. And I'm thinking of Le'Veon Bell in that situation. I want to take one step back here real quick. Can you elaborate on this uh, Japanese and fifth-round fifth pick story? Who Were you talking about Terrell Davis? Yeah, Terrell Davis. Back in the uh, day, 1995, when he was drafted, he was a rookie. He was on the special teams. He made a big tackle. What's, what's uh, the thing about Japan, on, though? On special teams? No. Now, I think that was, during that year, the NFL was doing uh, preseason games oh, abroad. Okay. They are trying to expand, uh, you know, world audience uh, because we had, you know, uh, NFL Europe back then. And so they were trying to get a, a larger audience outside of the United States. And the Broncos played in Japan that, that year. And that's when Terrell Davis on the last preseason game made a big play. Uh, the next game, uh, the starting running back got hurt. And so Terrell Davis started off the season as a starter and never looked back. The zone blocking scheme turned him into a Hall of Fame running back that he is now, which is amazing since he barely played five full seasons. But he almost, he made it to 10,000 yards, won two Super Bowls and, a, and an MVP title. So. Uh, I tip my hat to that, and it's also he was the poster boy of the of what can happen if you you're you're you just know how to read the holes and hit the holes right away in zone blocking schemes. And I think uh, Mike Shanahan, his uh, fingerprints have been all over this year's playoffs. A lot of teams are were using the same scheme, or a lot of these guys come from his coaching tree, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, what's old becomes new again, and where else but the sports rapper are you going to find out that Terrell Davis was in Japan and that's where he uh, made his debut. I did not know that. He discovered in Japan. Wouldn't have thought that in the NFL. Marv, I talked a lot about uh, in the opening monologue the innovation. And innovation is adding on to something that already exists. You take it, you change it, you make it better. And so I don't want to take away from the 49ers because I think they've brought about great innovation as you've gone over in depth just a minute ago as well. But when I look at this game and we'll break down the Super Bowl in the next episode, the next episode will be entirely uh, dedicated to the Super Bowl. But before we get to that, and this is kind of a teaser and a segue into that episode, I don't know what to make of this game on the fact that I think the Packers, with all due respect to them, they 13 and three is incredible. They won all their close games. I think they were eight and one in one score games. So they did a lot of things right. But to me, the Packers were 
potentially the worst team to ever play in an NFC championship game. I think they very well might have been the worst team uh, as a whole, as a collective. And we saw the 49ers take a 27 to zero lead and everyone's gung ho on the 49ers. Do we need to pump the brakes on that? Or are the 49ers like that good and more? I think the 49ers were better prepared for the NFC title game. Uh, they came out guns blazing. Uh, they ran their, uh, how I say, script playbook to perfection. Their first 15 plays pretty much ended up in all touchdowns every time they had the ball. Uh, Packers, once they were up 21-0, the Packers really didn't know what else to do. And that changed the whole game plan for the Packers and forced Aaron Rodgers to do things that he didn't want to, and he was turning the ball over left and right. And that was uncharacteristic of uh, Aaron Rodgers, which a lot of people forget. Aaron Rodgers is 0-3 against the San Francisco 49ers. Ever since, you know, they passed on him in the draft, uh, he said he was going to make them basically uh, regret it. But looks like he's yet to beat them in a game, so or in the playoffs at least. So, I mean, I, I feel that the 49ers just ran a great game plan. They executed on all levels in three, all three phases of the game. And they, they just were better coached. They had more talent and they were at home, which is three things that, you know, were to their advantage. And I think the 49ers are a legit threat. They have a really good chance of winning the Super Bowl. Absolutely. I didn't want to take away from them, but I just saw a Green Bay Packer team that just wasn't the cream of the crop. And it, it starts to make me think that I'm not sure that the NFL wasn't just a bunch of stuff. When you have a bunch of possessions, it doesn't always mean that that's a good thing. It can just be clutter. You can just be a hoarder. We had the the Saints and they came up short because Drew Brees' limitations and Sean Payton's limitations we talked about. And they weren't able to add Antonio Brown because it's off the field issues, which we'll get into a little bit later. They go on even further. But to me, the Packers were bad. The Seahawks were bad. The the Philadelphia uh, Eagles were not good by any means. Nine and seven getting into the playoffs. The NFC East, we know what that was. I think we should temper expectations just a little bit. But that being said, I we have not gone into the full breakdown of the 49ers Chiefs Super Bowl, which we will get into next episode. So stay tuned for that, guys. Let's move on to the second quarter. Hut, hut, hike! I want to compare and contrast for a minute. We had two quarterbacks on Sunday, two all-time quarterbacks. One is a first ballot Hall of Famer. One is well on his way to being a first ballot Hall of Famer. They're both elite talents, beyond elite. They're the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. You can argue the greatest, you can argue the best, but I don't think you can argue the two most talented quarterbacks, and those are Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. Both franchises have relied on them heavily for a couple years while Patrick Mahomes has been around. Kansas City has not had much of a defense until the second half of this season. The Packers have gone on a decade without giving Aaron Rodgers any help on defense since his last Super Bowl. There are so many similarities between these two, but there has been a distinct difference and it's been highlighted in these playoffs. The Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes went down 24-0 against the Houston Texans. No problem for Mahomes. He comes back and wins the game. The Packers, on the other hand, go down 27-0, and that's it. That's all she wrote. You could say they put up a fight. I don't think they did at all. Never really felt like they were going to win the game. The statistical models always had them at 98, 99% chance of losing. And it wasn't the outcome to me. 24-0 comebacks are not common. 27-0 comebacks are not common. But it was how they behaved while they were down. Patrick Mahomes was seen rallying the troops. I've said I like my quarterbacks verbal. I like them talking to the other guys on the team. They need to communicate so that players on offense know where they need to be. Players on defense know hey, my quarterback still believes he's still going to go out there and throw some touchdowns. All I need to do is get a stop. It's simply the old saying, rally the troops. 
Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, standing by himself, smug, arrogant, quiet, disappointed, disgruntled, unhappy. All those things could be projected onto the way that he looked on Sunday when he was on camera on the sidelines, throwing it away. Maybe nobody was open, I don't know, but there was just no willingness to go out there and make a play to me. You can tell me it was the weapons, you can tell me it was the defense's fault, and you may be right, but Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, you tell me it's all Tyree Kill, I'll tell you the Kansas City Chiefs were 3-0 without Tyree Kill when Patrick Mahomes was playing. Could it be perhaps that Patrick Mahomes makes fourth-round pick, third-round pick Tyreek Hill into who he is as opposed to the opposite? It feels like Aaron Rodgers is running out of excuses to me. They had the same narrative. Both teams relying on the QB. The Packers also lost in the same fashion, in the same way. Did they learn nothing in the first loss? Did they did they did Aaron not learn anything? Did he was where was the propensity to lead? He got down big and he reacted in the same way. I see one big difference between these two, and it is the ability and the propensity to lead, to lead in times of adversity. Because you had preparation, Aaron. You had the opportunity to go through this, and you didn't make any adjustments. You didn't make any adjustments on the field. You didn't make any adjustments that I'm more concerned with off the field and how he leads his team. Patrick Mahomes made the adjustments, and that number one adjustment when he was down 24-0 was to rally the troops, to talk to his players, to let them know that he was ready to play. He was ready to lead them into battle, and it didn't matter what the score was. They were going to give it all that they had, and I didn't feel like Aaron Rodgers did the same thing. And I have to be honest, I was disappointed because Aaron Rodgers is no doubt an all-time great and a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I would hope for more out of his leadership and his ability to bring out talent in the players that he plays with. Because you have what you have. And it seems to me Aaron is not making the most of what he has. Now Marv, Aaron Rodgers is going to be 37 next year. He's now 1-3 in championship games in the NFC. We've talked about it a little bit before. But is this truly the end for Aaron Rodgers? I don't think it's the end for Aaron Rodgers yet. Uh, I think he's just been unfortunately stuck on bad teams. He's he's still Aaron Rodgers. He's still putting up the same numbers. He's still efficient. But his teammates seem to get worse every year. This year... Outside of uh, Adams, he didn't have no receivers. I think Lazard was his second best receiver, and uh, and he also had another guy. I forget his name. Who was in and out of the roster? He was always getting hurt. Uh, Scatling, I believe his name is. And then they had a pretty decent running game. I like what they did with the running game. Their offensive line was patchwork. He had a few guys that were injured, especially in the playoffs. Uh, his tight end, Jimmy Graham, was a, is a former shell of himself, so he shows up whenever he feels like showing up, it seems. So I think the talent itself around Aaron Rodgers has deteriorated over the years, and I think what the Packers need to do if they want to continue to extend Aaron Rodgers' career, they need to go ahead and get some more playmakers on the outside from add another receiver, add another pass-cutching tight end, and also fortify the front offensive line and get him some better pass blockers that way his uh Aaron Rodgers has a lot more time to get the ball out because it looks like there's times where Aaron Rodgers does hold the ball too long and he takes a sack an unnecessary sack or he fumbles and those are things that they can avoid by upgrading the offense a little bit in this offense. I have to push back on that just a little bit because like I said just a minute ago You take Patrick Mahomes and you put him with Tyreek Hill, who was a third or fourth round pick. I think he was in the third round. And without Tyreek Hill, you tell me that Patrick Mahomes is the product of all these weapons, or so many people say that. And then you take away Tyreek Hill for three games and Patrick Mahomes is 3-0. 
And then you look at Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson works with everybody. He elevates everybody's game. You have DK Metcalf, who fell to the end of the second round for, by scouts' evaluation, very good reasons. Primarily, he's a terrible route runner. And Russell Wilson's style kind of impacts and, and works with that. So Russell Wilson works with everybody. Patrick Mahomes works with everybody. Jimmy G, who's also going to be in the Super Bowl, only has one kind of elite receiver. And then you have a bunch of rookies and a, uh, guys who couldn't do a lot before. I, I'm kind of getting sick of or, or it's growing tired, the excuse for Aaron and not being able to elevate receivers. Shouldn't there be something when we're talking about a first ballot Hall of Famer, who, which I think he is. I don't think there's any debate about that. But when you have a first ballot Hall of Famer, shouldn't he be able to raise the play of his guys when he has a new coach who's also an offensive genius or whatever he is? Is that fair, Marv? Well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, he should, Aaron Rodgers should take some of the blame, and I think people should hold him accountable as well. Uh, he's gotten to a point where, you know, his, since he's been really talented and he's won a Super Bowl and he's been to multiple Pro Bowls and an MVP and so and so, it, it may have gotten to his head since he's always been playing with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, it seems lately he has not been playing with that chip on his shoulder. So it could be that he, his game has, you know, taken a hit in the last few years. And this, maybe he might be taking some plays off. He may not be putting his full, uh, potential out there in the field. Maybe as we mentioned before in the past, maybe Aaron Rodgers is just basically winging it and just wants to get through and collect his checks before he finally decides it's over. So uh, I honestly don't know where his mind's at. I would hope he's hungry and he wants to continue to win. Uh, did he, let's, let's compare him to Tom Brady. Does he look like he still wants to win? Maybe not. Uh, does he look like he wants to keep proving his critics wrong? Eh, I don't think so. Does that, does he have that same fire that we're used to seeing from him? No. It looks like he's, like you've mentioned before, uninterested. So you're right. We, we should put a little bit more blame on Aaron Rodgers and hold him accountable. And hopefully, you know, burn a fire under him so he can be the old Aaron Rodgers of old and take over games and win games and not blame his teammates when they lose. So I hope, you know, that clarifies a little bit. Yeah, and I, I want to clarify for a minute, too. I do not think it's over for Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers has somewhere around three to five years worth of above average quarterback play. But going back to previous episodes, I've said that his play is deteriorating, and it is. And when your play starts to deteriorate, Tom Brady's play is deteriorating, by the way. But he he has the ability, or or quarterbacks have the ability to lead. And Aaron is not much of a leader. He's somebody who completely relies on talent. And he's going to have to learn in order to get the most out of the end of his career to become a leader. And I'm just not sure that's in his personality. You can be a genius, but if you can't get it out of your head and you can't communicate it to anyone, it's not of benefit to any anyone around you. It's not a benefit to your teammates if he is an offensive genius, which I think Aaron is a super high uh, intellectual, super high IQ guy, but uh, it's just not manifesting itself into important wins. But by no means do I think it's over. Marv, with that in mind, I think we, we agree that Aaron needs some help to elevate the end of his career, kind of like a Tom Brady who who can no longer elevate the players around him. His game just isn't that good anymore. I mean, it's very good, but it's not that good. It's not like elite level good. So if you were general manager of the Green Bay Packers going in next season, and I'm tasking you with shrinking this massive gap between the Packers and the uh, San Francisco 49ers who are rep representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, Give me your top three priorities in order, one, two, and three, of how you start to close this gap and how you're going to do it. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to find the best nose tackle I can get, be it uh, through free agency or the draft. That way uh, the Packers uh, can play better run defense. Also, I would uh, get – the best office alignment I could buy as well. 
that would help protect Aaron and also add a top wide receiver, someone like an A.J. Green that will come in and make the tough catches underneath. You'll have, you know, you'll have Adams, who's the big playmaker, and then you'll have someone like A.J. Green who can make those tough catches down the middle. I think that would be a perfect compliment for Aaron Rodgers if he can get a, a big-time possession receiver that makes big plays for him whenever he needs it. And I think that's the top three things I would do if I was the GM of the Yeah, Packers I think those are excellent. I like that number two is lineman because Aaron needs time and he needs to feel safe. He does have two collarbone surgeries, two collarbone breaks. So he's getting older, a little bit more frail. So they need to keep him upright first and foremost beyond that nose tackle, which without the defense, they can't do a whole lot. But that possession receiver would be helpful. They need somebody to help elevate his game. Let me ask you this. What would you do with the defense overall? Is it time for Mike Pettin to go, dare I say? I think also you could make a change in the defensive uh, coaching staff. Maybe add a guy who's better suited to stop the run, that plays the run better uh, or calls a better defense to stop the run. Seems Mike Pett was good at calling blitzes. I mean, his pass rush was good. But when it came to stopping the run, teams would just run down the middle on them all day, and the Packers couldn't stop it. Uh, I, I was just in awe how bad their defensive line would get pushed back, and teams would just open gaping holes through the line and just rush it down their throat. And that's basically what the 49ers and a lot of teams that beat them in the season did. So... There could be a change or there should be a change in the defensive uh, coaching office. So we'll see. I think uh, as long as they can learn how to stop the run, their defense will be uh, a lot better next year. They were really young this year, might I add. So that also could have played a, you know, a factor in this season. Uh, they had a lot of young guys on that defense. Maybe another year of experience as well will help them. Uh, next year, so we'll see how that turns out. My biggest problem with the Green Bay defense was that they were good at being the big kid bully at school. They were good at beating up on Mitch Trubisky and David Blow and even Kirk Cousins. They had no problem with that. But when it came to playing with somebody their own size, they got manhandled, and I think that spoke to Mike Patton's philosophy. It's very good at blitzing, very good at pass protection uh, in terms of defending the pass, I mean. But when it came to somebody's going to get down and dirty in the trenches, their defense wanted no part of it. And I saw it being partially schematic and how the way it was designed. So I think they should at least review it. Uh, he he probably deserves one more year, in my opinion. But he's going to have to change his philosophy and try and see what he can do with that personnel and, and make them tougher. Because part of it is a mentality. It's They needed to be tougher. They weren't very interested in in stopping the run in the NFC Championship game in the biggest moment, and that was kind of disappointing. On to quarter three. Hut, hut, hike! There was a common theme that I learned throughout these playoffs, and that was that this is a passing league. The NFL is a passing league. You might be saying, Jonathan, you just said that you commend the 49ers for running the football and getting back to old school football. And I do. The two ideas are not mutually exclusive. Yes, the 49ers passed only eight times, and the Titans ran their way to the AFC Championship game, and the Ravens ran their way to the best record in the regular season in the AFC to the number one seed. But it's still a passing league. With the rules changing, you can't touch the receivers. You can't hit anyone over the middle. So the rules and the propensity and the ability to pass are highly elevated. And... The shift has benefited the NFL in terms of ratings. I know there's a lot of tough guys or fake tough guys or whatever you guys are, uh, like the old days when we used to hit and we used to tackle and we used to run the football. Well, you tell us all otherwise. You tell the NFL otherwise by the ratings, by the viewership. Viewership is, is way up. It's a passing league. It's developing into a passing league, and it is a passing league. It's been a theme that we've mentioned for the last 15 years 13 passers have been all-pro Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And you need the quarterback. In the two years that the Hall of Fame quarterbacks did not win the Super Bowl, 
Nick Foles, Joe Flacco, both MVPs of the Super Bowl. They caught fire that year, and they played like Hall of Famers throughout the playoffs, at least. And uh, time will tell as we go on if Nick Foles can return to that. Why do you think San Francisco was able to run for 285 yards? Because you had to respect their passing game. Do you think that would have worked with Mitch Trubisky? Do you think that would have worked with Andy Dalton? Do you think that would have worked with Kyle Allen? The answer is no. Because there's no threat to pass when you don't have a good quarterback. It's a passing league. Good quarterback, passing league. The Ravens lost because the Titans sold out to stop the run. They said, if you're going to beat us, Lamar, you're going to have to do it passing. And Jackson had to do it with his arm, and he couldn't do it. It didn't work. They fell behind, and they couldn't make their way back. You can't run when you're losing. When the Titans are down 14 with eight minutes left to go, guess what? You have to air it out a little bit. You don't have time to run down the clock because you're going to end up beating yourself. Do you really trust Ryan Tannehill to beat you? Do you really trust him to win if you're the Titans? And it didn't work out that way. It didn't. Ryan Tannehill, although he had a great season, he was unable to come from behind because he didn't have that rushing threat. It's a passing league. You have to build an offense with the threat to pass. You can't rely on a running game because when time is running low and you are out of options, you need a Drew Brees. You need a Tom Brady. You need a Patrick Mahomes. You need a Jimmy Garoppolo, somebody with the big arm, somebody you can trust in the big moments. It is clearer to me than ever before that this is and will remain a passing league in the NFL. Marv, as I just said, I believe this is a passing league. We saw the Titans run all over the place, all the way to the AFC Championship game. We saw the Ravens run their way to the number one seed in the AFC. But when it came down to it, running wasn't enough. In the biggest moments, in the closest games, when you trail, you're going to need to pass. You're going to need to be able to rely on your quarterback. He has to drop back on first, second, third, and even fourth down to throw the football because you just don't have time anymore to run the football. And to me, that means it's a passing league. And the 49ers, they won games, or they won this pass game because Jimmy G was a, a threat to pass. So as we approach draft season, let's say you have a team and you're building from scratch, something like the Dolphins or the Bengals, a total rebuild, and you have in mind that it's a passing league. How are you going to build a team from the ground up? What are you addressing first? How are you going to build your team that's able to pass so that they can win games? Well, the first thing I'm going to build is, or at least a, a, a look for, is a very good left tackle and a stable offensive line that's really good at both passing and rushing the ball. So that's the most important part is getting a, a stout left tackle. Then, after I get my offensive line set up, I would then get a young quarterback and then add the pieces around him, which would be, of course, receivers, tight ends, and et cetera. So I think that's what I would do. I would start first with offensive line and then Yeah, the we've talked about this in the uh, previous episodes. Why do number one, number two, number three picks that end up being quarterbacks fail so often? Because they're put in situations where – they are unable to succeed because they can't stay upright. They're getting sacked. They're getting hit. They're getting injured. They don't have proper talent around them. And I've even speculated and said, Dallas should just move on from Dak Prescott because they have the line. They need to continue paying them. And they're not going to be able to afford the help that is needed to elevate his play in the way that it has because Dak Prescott is not an elite thrower of a football. He is just somebody who's very intelligent. He's a good leader. And he can throw the football okay. And he's able to be elevated because he has Amari Cooper, because he has uh, an, a great offensive line. And it seems to me that you kind of see it the same way. 
when you're going into the draft here, and we'll segue into this in a minute, but are you looking to draft a quarterback right away if you're the the Bengals or the Dolphins, knowing that, hey, my contemporaries are uh, are passing all over the field. Let's pretend you're the Bengals or the Dolphins. You can address them individually or separate. Would you draft a quarterback, or would you make that offensive line the focus going into next season? If I was either or of those teams, two teams, I would make offensive line a priority first, and then I would get a quarterback. Because as we've seen in the past, there's teams that, let's say, for example, I have a really good offensive line, and their quarterback's above average. So with that formula, you can win in the NFL. As long as you have a really good offensive line, as your quarterback is, if your quarterback stays upright and he has enough time to make the throws, hand the ball off, et cetera, they will – the team will succeed. I mean, you've seen there's teams like like you mentioned the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott's an above average quarterback. Uh he's had great seasons when the offensive line's been healthy, as we've seen in the past. So that that's that's a formula I think a lot of teams should vi- revisit and do. That that formula worked really well for the Cowboys in the last few years, other than this year, where they've, you know, made the playoffs or uh, Dak Prescott's numbers have been really good, and their running game has been really good because of their offensive line. And um, I think other teams are going to start doing that as well. Um, I think that's a, the best practice for an NFL team because offensive linemen do tend to get really expensive once uh, they get out of their rookie contract because the importance of the offensive line in the NFL and basically the highest paid positions in the NFL are quarterback, a left tackle, and pass rusher. Those are the three main positions that teams normally in the top five of the draft pick. And I think offensive line is as important as having a quarterback. Yeah, to me, I think it depends upon what the prospect, or I should say who the prospect is. Uh, Joe Burrow, I might make an exception for, but the rest of these quarterbacks, if you have Tua back there getting banged up, I'm on board with your philosophy. I like that because I'm able to protect him. Uh, if I have Justin Herbert, I need protection because he's a more of a project to me than a lot of these guys. I know the general managers fall in love with the big arms and six foot six, whatever he is. I, I don't care about that. If I'm unable to keep him upright, there's no point. And then you look to the running game that's built off the passing game. Why are you paying Ezekiel Elliott even his rookie contract, for example, five, six, seven million dollars out of the cap? You got to pay him a big bonus for being the number four pick. Line up your zone run scheme and get somebody like Ezekiel Elliott, who's very valuable and is an elite talent. I think that's only worth a second round pick when you're building your team. So I think there's certain situations where you may skew from it, like a Joe Burrow, who's a above, like way above average prospect to me. But it could end up very badly if he doesn't have that offensive line. So I think that's a great point looking to that, uh, looking to how to rebuild your team for next season. Cause I know we have a lot of listeners. Almost everyone who's listening, I should say, is their team's out. There's only, there's only two fan bases left. So I know a lot of people are looking to see how can we improve next season. We'll get into that a little bit more in future episodes and more NBA, but on to the fourth quarter as we go to quick hitters. Marv, the NFL draft is in Vegas this year, and uh, they're planning on hosting it in a fountain at the Bellagio Hotel. They're going to have walkways and boats taking players out there. It's quite the idea. Uh, What do you think of this? Is it a good idea or bad idea? I think it's a great idea. Uh, the NFL is trying to bring more fans to Vegas as they're having uh, the Las Vegas Raiders have the inaugural season in Las Vegas this upcoming season. So I think it's, it's a smart I like it as the well. They're like just going to have to be very careful because it would be a bad look, although funny, if somebody's falling into the water at some point. And you're talking big guys. You're talking some of them 300 pounds. So not that the boat's going to sink, but it can tip and – and and move in a way that you would want it to. I hope they have walkways so that you could just walk across if needed. 
Not everybody's comfortable with water as well. So I hope everybody's good, but I think there could be a lot of fun ideas that could come from it. Diving into the water after being drafted. I don't know. These guys are creative with their outfits. They're creative with their celebrations. So it'll be interesting to see how they balance getting their uh, outfits wet, if if it's worth it or not. So we'll see if anybody will jump in and, and ruin their nice tucks or, or their loafers or their chain. Uh, Marv, there's a rumor going around, and it was originally shot down, but it's just opened up today that the Bengals are open to it. And that rumor is, or at least they said they're not shutting down trade talks. That rumor is that uh, the Dolphins want to trade all three first-round picks this year that they've amassed from trading Laramie Tunsil from the Texans and, uh, or I should say, Laramie Tunsil to the Texans. They got a first-round pick. They traded Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers for a first-round pick, and then they have their fifth pick, their own fifth uh, overall pick. They want to trade all three for Joe Burrow. Is this a good idea, or are you sticking to your draft the line first and then get the quarterback? Well, in this case, if I'm the Bengals and I have a lot of holes to fill, this is actually a great trade to make. I mean, Joe Burrow, he is an elite prospect. But when you're a team like the Bengals who won, what, two games? That means your team is really bad and you need you got a lot of holes to fill. Uh, likewise, with the Dolphins, well, it seems the Dolphins uh, feel they're a quarterback away from being pretty good. I would, like the, I would like the fit of Joe Burrow in Miami more than Tua in Miami. And as a consolation prize, the Bengals could still get Tua I mean, he might not be ready to play right away, but they would get a, a decent quarterback to play in their system. So I think if you know the the rumors are true, it would be a great team. A great yeah, I actually for see it teams. the exact same way. I have no debate or dialogue necessarily for our audience. Sorry, guys, but uh, this is a win-win. I think that's the key add to this. This is a win-win for both teams. The Bengals have tons of holes to fill. Meanwhile, the Dolphins had absolutely no talent. And went five and eleven, which is probably top five mind blowing things that happened this season. So you plug in Joe Burrow with a stable coaching staff and a team that won five games with absolutely nothing because they traded everything away, and then you allow the Bengals to rebuild. Because I'm with you, the Bengals need a lot more than Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow has a to me a much less uh, chance of succeeding in Miami. Then uh, I'm sorry, in Cincinnati than he does in Miami. So I really think this is a win-win. It would be knocking out of the park for both teams. The main point about that, why I'd be willing to trade three first-round draft picks for one player, is only because they're all in this season. So next season, you're able to still have your first-round pick if things go rocky. I don't like it when teams trade all their picks for the future for one player. But this one... Is, is a very good play, I think, for both teams. And last but not least, Marv, I got a text right before the show. Uh, it, it was a tweet from Bleacher Report Gridiron. Police are trying to convince Antonio Brown to surrender peacefully while they pursue an arrest warrant for alleged felony battery and burglary. Burglary, that's an interesting word, involving a driver for a moving company. Have we seen Antonio Brown's last snap in the NFL? At this rate, we might not see Antonio Brown again. I mean, this guy—he's—he's he's losing his mind. We might not see this guy see the, see uh, how I say the light because he might end up in jail. At this rate, he's done some crazy stuff. Like, come on, man! Like, why can't he just stay calm? Uh, his agent currently uh, ended their, his relationship with him and told him to get some help. When your agent who's backed you this whole time as, you know, put his face on the line, his reputation on the line for you on live TV, apologizing gives up on you. That, that tells me a lot. So I think it might be the last time we see Antonio Brown ever. If he continues going down this dark. Yeah. To me, this goes far beyond football. And I think uh, the last thing that I'm worried about at this moment is whether he'll play football again. 
the NFL needs to stop with the punishment mentality, which he should be punished. He's been punished. He's been out of the league for a while. He's dug his own grave. I get all that. But the NFL should reach out to help him because this is some sort of case of getting hit too hard in the head or mental illness or both. And uh, I have to applaud the NBA. There's been videos going around about former player Delonte West, who was previously diagnosed with bipolar while he was in the league. So meds had him going a little crazy. He's out of the league now. He's been out of the league for a while. There's videos going around of him being homeless and beaten. And it's just awful. And it's all because of a mental illness. And the NBA is, is beginning to reach out and beginning to help him. And I would like to see the NFL take the same approach and begin to help Antonio Brown because this is not the behavior of a normal, healthy, sane person. And if Antonio Brown were listening, that would be the tough truth that I would would tell him and I would ask him to seek help. And I know he's been seeking help. He says he has been talking to a therapist or some sort, but it's clearly not working enough. And I wish the NFL as a uh, brotherhood and as somebody who claims to care about their players, and I believe they do, and I do believe they'll do the right thing. So I, I wish that they will reach out. I hope they will, and I believe they will. And uh, playing at this point is secondary. I hope to see him get it all together and play again because he's such a phenomenal talent. But uh, to me, that's secondary. But I, I would say that it probably is the end for Antonio Brown, and, and, and that's very sad. Also very sad is uh, there's no money-making picks from Marv this week. <laughs> We got to wait to the Super Bowl. That comes in the uh, next episode. Marv is going to have some money making picks, or I should say, the money making pick of the year. Here comes the money. So, all those winnings, you can take them and double them. Is that right, Marv? On the Super Bowl? <laughs> we'll have it coming. Yes, I want to thank you all for listening today. We will have the Super Bowl preview episode. We're going to break down position by position group and we're going to give each team a report card and we're going to tell you who's going to win the game and why i'm very excited for that episode i know marv is as well and i think you will be too after hearing that explanation a little teaser also want to mention again this podcast is brought to you by audible visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up to take advantage of a special offer for our listeners as i mentioned in the beginning so i won't go into that again Marv, do you have anything else for the people? Thank you so much for listening, guys. Um, can't wait for the Super Bowl show. It's going to be great. Uh, we might have some props for you as well if, you, if you're if into props. That way we can make you a little extra money. And Oh, man, Marv's throwing in fans, props. And we love you guys. Love it. Forgot about that. So we're going to have multiple picks. Even better, we're going to make, Marv, we're going to make Super Bowl shows great again. Okay? That's what we're going to do. So we're going to have some fun. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. All right, bye now.